the episode you are about to hear was created prior to our rebranding to Foul Play. If you have any information on any of our cases, you can visit us at itsfoulplay.com. A question we ask ourselves often is, could Father Maskell really lead a ring of pedophile priests and police officers while also doing psychological studies on children for the CIA's program MKUltra? If true, imagine how ideal it would be to ensure protection from not only the church and police, but also the government. This week, you will hear from a survivor of the MKUltra program who is able to link the program with someone from inside Father Maskell's pedophile ring, Dr. Christian Richter. Please be advised that what you are about to hear could be triggering. We will talk about abuse, rape, and an animal being harmed. Know your limit, and don't be afraid to listen in portions if you need to. Welcome back to Out of the Shadows. Shane and I are so excited about our guest tonight. I know I say that a lot, but if you don't already have like your choice of drink or water or sitting down, you might want to do that because this one's going to be very different than what you've heard before and very engaging and very engrossing. Um, about a year ago, our guest, her name is Lynn Shermer reached out to me and also to a few of the people that I know through the keepers. And for some reason, I was told her last name was Smith and it's not, it's Shermer. So I never got her message. Well, you all heard the episodes that we did with Ellen Lachter and Jean Wayner and Lynn is friends with Ellen. Lynn and I finally connected after Ellen facilitated, and as you remember, Ellen is the uh, therapist that we were able to interview about ritualistic sexual abuse, and everybody was so um, engaged and impressed with that that I invited Lynn to be our guest tonight. Um, I'm going to introduce Lynn and I want you all to welcome her to the program. This is Lynn Shermer. Hi, Lynn. Hi. And Lynn, where are you located? You're located on the West Coast, correct? Yes, I live in okay. Seattle. Okay. So um, I, I think I really want you to do the talking. People are tired of listening to me. Could you actually explain how you and I finally did get to be able to talk to each other? Sure. If you want me to start at the beginning. So what happened was 
in May of 2017, um, I was watching Netflix and I was watching The Keepers. And I thought it was amazing. And it got to the episode with Dr. Richter. And they showed his face. And I was just sitting there minding my business, watching the documentary. And they showed his face and his name. And I started screaming. It was an involuntary scream that just came out of me. I was shocked that I was suddenly screaming. I got up and walked around. I was shaking. I kept screaming. I'm sure that I scared my poor neighbors. And then I settled down. And uh, of course, I called my, my therapist. <laughs> and, and yeah, I recognized him. And I was totally stunned and traumatized. And a little bit of memory started flooding in. And then, of course, I, I went and worked on the memory uh, in therapy. And then I knew where I knew him from. And so after, I think it took a couple weeks to kind of settle down and, um, and, and keep working on my emotional state. And, and then I wrote a letter and I sent it to the Gmail address for the keepers, I think. Um, and I got a response and then I didn't hear anything for a long time. A number of months later, I published an article about the keepers on one of my websites, uh, bornpress.com because the keepers did such an amazing job at dealing with um, the myth of false memory. And it is a myth. It's a PR campaign. So I wrote an article about it, that, and I posted it in the keepers group on Facebook. And I think that's when we first got in touch, but then we got in touch again through Ellen quite a, quite a ways after that. So yeah, um, that's how we got in touch. It's uh, I recognized a perp on the keepers. Well, I want to remind everybody that's listening that Christian Richter, I hate to even use the word doctor, but Christian Richter, now deceased, fortunately, was the gynecologist that was friends with Joseph Maskell, and he is the guy that Maskell took young girls to for gynecological examinations and also for surgical procedures. Now, we know that um, there's one report that several Keogh girls were admitted at one time into the, uh, through ER into outpatient at night, and that their charts all said they were having a DNC, and they were actually having illegal abortions in a Catholic hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital in Towson. So this is the person that Lynn is referring to. And the interesting thing is that Lynn has never been to Maryland. So Lynn, I'm going to ask you to explain your connection to Dr. Richter and just take your time. Okay. Yeah, this is another one of those, where do I start kind of things. To give it context, I'd probably have to start at the beginning of how I was trafficked as a child. I was born into a family, it was an abusive family, and it was intergenerational abuse. So both my paternal and maternal grandparents abused my parents, and as far as I can tell, going back four generations, um, sometimes the abuse would be done as a group. 
So it wasn't just, you know, one pedophile in the family, but it was like group activity where kids were molested. So my parents were already troubled and they were young uh, when they had me and my brother. I, I have an older, I had an older brother, four years older than me. I was born in 1963, by the way, in Detroit. And when I was uh, about three and a half, four years old, my mother started taking me to special doctor's appointments. My mother also trafficked me. Like she, she would take me to a bar and she would sell me to people at the, in the back of the bar. And she would take me to houses, men's houses, where there were parties, that sort of thing. So I'm, a, I'm between three and a half and four, and she's, and there's a reason why I know I was that age. She started taking me to special doctor's appointments really frequently. It seemed like every couple of weeks, or maybe it was month, once a month. Of course, I'm a teen tiny child, and I, you know, I'm not remembering time that well back then. But the, some of the same men would be at the doctor's office, and it, it was this it was my pediatrician's office at first, and he had a special, one of his exam rooms was off in, a, in the, sort of the opposite side of his other exam rooms, and it had a special setup in it. And they were running behavioral experiments. There, there's really not a, a good set of terms for what they were doing, but basically, it, it was various forms of torture. I would be strapped down on a gurney or strapped in a chair. And they had monitoring equipment on my head. So back in the 60s, they would use a PET, I believe it was, huge equipment everywhere. They would shock me. They used a lot of electric shock. And they were training me to dissociate predictably. But I was a, a little tiny child when it started. I, I know that because I used to, I used to not be able to produce, pronounce my L's. You know, when I was a teen tiny child, I couldn't say my own name. I would say in instead of Lynn. Some of my trigger words, and I'll get into what trigger words are, um, have, have no L's in them. So they were, these triggers were created when I was so young. I didn't know how to say the letter L. This continued periodically going to the doctor's office and then sometimes it was a hospital, um, an unused old sort of laundry in the basement of a hospital with different people and you know they would torture me to get the behavior that they wanted and they wanted all kinds of different behaviors not just dissociating in certain ways, but being able to respond the right way when I was being molested. Um, because certain perpetrators, sexual perpetrators, pedophiles, like their victims to show certain responses when they're, when they're doing that to their victims. So that was part of it too. And this went on and I, I was given um, tests, a lot of tests, behavioral tests, as I got older, intelligence tests. And something happened uh, where I was accepted into another connected program, but sort of carrying out the, the same kind of experimentation. 
And when I was six, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. We, my family had never had any connection there. We had no family there. The, my father's salary tripled. The size of our house tripled. So that leaves me to believe that my parents were compensated for all of this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit to the Richter part. Sure. So after we moved to Birmingham, four or five times a year, I, I was still being taken to facilities, obviously different facilities. I can see the interior of these facilities very clearly. I know some of them were connected with NASA because of what I saw, you know, what I can see inside the buildings, but I, I don't remember the exteriors. I, a lot of times I was in an enclosed space when I was transported, so I couldn't see where I was going. The place where I saw Richter was like an annex. It was a facility that my perpetrators used when they couldn't get into the main facilities at NASA. It was in the shape of a barn. It was a big metal barn with a concrete floor. It was a newer structure. It had, you know, it wasn't like the, some old raggedy broken down barn. It was like new for the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. It was silver corrugated metal and it had a orange I-beams with a peak in the middle and it had two big doors. And there was actually still farm equipment in it sometimes, but like new farm equipment. They set up a couple of bays with uh, chairs, and the other equipment they used. When I saw Richter, I was with one doctor, my main doctor, who I, I shouldn't call him a doctor. He's a perpetrator. He's a sociopath. But he was he was working on me, and I was strapped in a chair, and I was naked and strapped in a chair and all wired up for electric shock around my torso. They They used to do electric shock all over different parts of the body. Um, at that time, it was around my torso. And Richter came in and was kind of hovering behind my, the, perpetra- the main perpetrator. And he had with him a black box. And he gave the box to the main guy. And they hooked me up. And I think, I think what the box was was a portable brainwave monitoring that someone had developed, it was much more precise than what the teams had been using before. Uh They were going to test it out. And I I was also drugged. So I was really, really loopy. And I was having a hard time concentrating on their instructions. And I was pushed right to the edge of not being able to follow instructions. And when you can't follow instructions, you get tortured. So even though I'm terrified and, you know, a complete mess, um, you still have to follow those instructions. you got to follow them. So yeah, I did the best I could. Richter, again, he paced around behind. The main guy did all the work. And when it was over, Richter was really pleased. And then, uh, and then he raped me. So... That's my major memory of Richter. I saw him another time. I'm not going to go into that memory. Uh, um, but as far as I know, only the two times. And my impression of Richter was that he, was, he, would, he would just come through and do deliveries. And he was kind of like ancillary, I guess you would say. Um, he was not one of the, the main people. 
But the point in all of that is that from what I know, what Maskell was doing may very well have been connected to something much bigger and classified, you know, that most people still know nothing about this experimentation on children, mm-hmm. experimentation and torture. Lynn, could I ask you a couple questions just for clarification? Oh, yeah, please. Um, you said that you were born in, did you say Detroit? Is yes. That where you were from? Yes. And, um, did you have brothers and sisters? I had a brother four years older than I. He passed away in 2015. Do you have any memories of him being involved in any of this? He was involved. He, he was um, assaulted by other family members and other perpetrators privately in the network. So I don't, he wasn't trafficked like I was that I know of. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. sold or given to parties, you know, sold at parties. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely molested as part of the family. And I believe he was tested for these programs and he didn't, he didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. And now I, I can't say that for sure. The reason why I think that is I never saw him in the labs ever. And my father was disappointed with him his whole life. My father was a sociopath, could be really charming. He could even be gentle sometimes and appear caring. Uh, but my father was involved in all this. It's my belief that my father worked for the CIA. I did see my father in the labs. Later, when I was a teenager, my father would take me on operations. So I never saw my brother in those contexts, ever. And, and my brother and my father never went you know, off on a trip together alone, so that I remember. You said that your uh, mom took you to your pediatrician. I, I just want to clarify, it sounded like what you were saying was that you were being evaluated to see if you would be a good candidate for this experimentation? Yes. Now, that pediatrician then, was he aware of what was happening in his own office? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And what happened to him? Do you, do you know? He's, he's long deceased. He, he was in his 40s or 50s when I was seeing him in the 60s, so. Now, did all of this happen in the Detroit area? Yes. When, well, before the age of six, yeah. Right. And so was there ever any talk? It, I mean, did you go to regular public school? Did anybody ever talk about what was happening there? I, you know, the rule was, in, not only with the family abuse, but especially with the doctor's appointments and things, is, you know, you don't tell. In fact, it, it's like organized crime. So how do you keep the code of silence in an organized crime family? Well, you scare the hell out of people and you show them what happens when you spill the beans. Mm-hmm. So they used pets. Well, they're in their threats constantly. Um, but they, with me, they used a pet. I, I had a, a dog when I was really young, um, a Betlington Terrier. My therapist laughs over this, but her name was Sybil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my mother knew a breeder of Betlington Terriers. And so they would get dogs. They would get dogs that looked like my dog. 
Mm-hmm. I was in that hospital basement with one of my, uh, one of the lab perps, one of the doctor perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a Bettlington Terrier and I was already being tortured. I was half out of it. And he told me, this is your dog. I'm going to show you what happens if you talk, if you say too much, mm. if you don't behave yourself. And he... mm. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> we can, we can you know, they make take... you participate, right? Yeah. We can take a break. He killed the dog, but he he made me hold the knife to kill the dog. You know, it's organized. It's just really, really sure. horrific organized crime. But it's it's all the same stuff. You know, it's you don't tell the secret. You mm-hmm. don't act weird outside of the house. Because of how upsetting this conversation was, we decided to take a short break. You know, in in, in my case, with my family, there was also dissociation. So when we would have these family kind of orgy things, we'd often have them in the basement. And as I was walking down the stairs to go to these things in the basement, my mother would call me by a different name. So, and that was, you know, from first memory. So they reinforce that. They scare the hell out of you. So you dissociate and then they call you a different name. When you walk back up the stairs, you're not going to remember anything. So. Lynn, you mentioned that when you were, I think you said six, your family moved to Alabama. And Birmingham is very close to where a NASA facility is, N-A-S-A, correct? Yes. So what was happening to you? And you mentioned that your dad worked for the CIA. What was happening to you was actually being authorized by the National Air and Space Administration? Well, my perpetrators were certainly using their facilities. Okay. Definitely using their facilities. You told me about being kind of on display for experimentation, and you mentioned to me when we talked before that you thought there were medical and military personnel and political personnel as observers. Is that accurate? Yes, that's right. Was it kind of in like what we would know as a medical theater where like uh, doctors who are interns are watching what's happening down below? Yeah, except, yeah, I was raised a little bit. Yeah. We're not talking about just like a bunch of thugs in a dirty barn. We're talking about an organized program, supposedly people are learning from. Yes, that's right. This this happened in, I believe I was nine. Mm So 72, and I don't remember going there, coming back. I have parts inside who called the venue Boston General. And it was like a half circle theater, but it was really clean. And and my main perpetrator at NASA from Huntsville had me up on the stage and was demonstrating how well conditioned I was. Yeah, and there were... The audience, I would guess there were about, I don't know, 30 people there. I noticed people from the television and a lot of doctors and military people. What do you mean by people from television? Well, household name people, people high up in the government. Let's move into why 
you and we think this was happening because we are also having two episodes, which our listeners will have heard by the time you hear yours from Dr. Colin Ross, who is an expert in MK Ultra. Now I'm really curious about how you think what happened to you fit into a government program and why why you were being used this way. Well, the history goes way back. It goes back into the 30s. They started experimenting with dissociation and could they create a soldier who would have amnesia and for um, for like a spy mission. Now, you know, could a soldier deliver a secret message across, you know, to some maybe across lines or something, and then if he gets captured, he, he doesn't know, so he can't tell. So he, he can't spill the beans. And they were working on that before World War II. And then after World War II, all of these experimentation programs, the ones that we know about, like MKUltra, part of it was exposed in the late 1970s. But there, there were more. These, these experiments involving children, taking children very, very young, and training them to predictably dissociate and have amnesia, predictably have amnesia. Um, that started in the 50s, and we, we know that from survivor testimony. Mm-hmm. People like Carol Rutz and my friend Janet Thomas, who wrote a book about it. So yeah, by the time I came along in 1963, it was their procedures, they, they weren't experimenting with some procedures as much, but it was very, you know, these are these are scientists and doctors working for the military. So everything was regimented. They were replicating work that was successful, but then still sort of experimenting with other techniques. But yeah, they the stuff that was done on me when I was really young, they had already pretty much um, found success with those a lot of those methods. But they use this for a dual purpose. The reason why I was at, they ran some of this out in NASA is they did a lot of medical experimentation, so mm-hmm. having to do with spaceflight. So that should be big news for your audience, yes. So much of this is like, it's, it's not science fiction. I know it's not, but it's so, it's so hard. I mean, I know that MKUltra, you know, they stopped it or supposedly stopped it. And no, they didn't. CIA, well, you're right. Clean, cleaned everything up, but are we, okay, so are we separating the, I hate to say the word legitimate, but the doctors and scientists that were working for NASA from pedophiles, or are these the same people? You're being experimented on, or you're used as a demonstration to show how dissociation can work and amnesia, forced amnesia, by scientists who are working for our government, correct? Yes. Okay, now you also talked about people like Christian Richter and others who, for example, your pediatrician's office, where it wasn't quite so um, legitimate, and that Perhaps that this was also a group of pedophiles who were abusing these children. When they run these experiments, they contract out. They have independent contractors. So a lot of these people, I'm sure my um, pediatrician 
was given some sort of contract for the use of his offices. And the same with a lot of the major perpetrators, but the vast majority of them, when you're torturing someone, sexual torture is part of the deal. All, all the perpetrators that were, um, you know, higher up, like like the guy at NASA, they, mm-hmm. they were all pedophiles. They, they, it was just part, even if you didn't, well, you wouldn't be torturing a child if you, you wouldn't be in that job. You know, even, I Right. How many people could say, well, my, this is for, you know, we're in competition with the Russians. We want to see if we can be successful at controlling someone's behavior and creating a lifelong amnestic slave, but I don't want to torture anybody. It's just, that's just not going to, you're not going to find. Yeah. Dr. Lachter said, shared with us that some of these children were actually used as the messengers and like a child could be used to carry information to another country and like you said would be using a different name and not remember that they even went there and came back exactly okay yeah so she said they were almost like sex kittens you know that they part of that was they were trained to be that way they would be able to deliver this information high you know high level information to foreign countries do whatever it was they were trained to do, and then they would come back and not even know they had made the trip. That's exactly right. And then you think you've you've been told that you were at summer camp for a week. Yep, that's exactly right. So there are a number of jobs that they train us for. And when when we're being brought up, you know, going to the labs, they test you to see what kind of job you're going to be better for. So they, you know, they work on um, being a courier, being able to See if you can develop a photographic memory so you can store documents in your memory and then read them out when you're given the cue, you're given the trigger. They definitely train me. I, I have an entire team of alters that perform sexually depending upon what the perpetrator wants. Lynn's use of the word alters is referring to alternate personalities that she believes were created during her programming and abuse under MKUltra. Next week's part two of our conversation, you will learn more about how this program was utilized to program individuals like Lynn.